Today's readings are Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. John 14, 25 through 27. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John sixteen thirty three. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And lastly, Galatians 5:22. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, King's Quest students, you can go to the lobby and find your teachers, and the rest of you may be seated. Wish I could be as peaceful as you. Well, we'll pause in our service for the uh, soccer fans to enter the um, auditorium. <clears throat> we thought Super Bowl Sunday was a challenge, World Cup Sunday. But I've heard that the game is over. Some of you might want to go home and watch it, so I won't tell you that Argentina won. I, oh, did I just? <laughs> In penalty kicks, I'm told. So I, I want to start with my conclusion, in case I don't get there. Here's where I'm going today. I want to try to remind us that Jesus didn't come to earth simply to die on the cross so that we can have peace on earth and goodwill to all sometime in the future. But that Jesus came to earth to show us how to live a life of peace on earth goodwill to all here and now. Now, not everyone's going to cooperate with us, but that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to do the best we can to become the kind of people who can bring peace on earth, have goodwill for all people. Jesus came to show us how to do that. Now, I love it when a, a, a plan comes together that you didn't plan. Um, because when I walked in this morning, I saw the little uh, bulletin card we have, 
And I had noticed in previous weeks, as we've gone through different names of the person of Jesus, uh, 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 now, what are they? Oh, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, <clears throat> Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's the only one I care about. Uh, Prince of Peace. Um, that I wondered, I saw that we had little, little writings on each of the names, and I thought, and I thought well, who's going to do this one? And I looked at it, and I was encouraged to see that it was Luke Diebel. Is Luke here? I saw some of the Diebels. He'll be here soon. He's, he's coming from the game. But um, I remember reading something Luke wrote last year at Advent, and I thought, did they mean to say Pete Diebel? Because if you don't know Luke Diebel, he's a sophomore. Where's, where's Jim? Yeah, at Pauly. And I remember reading last year, I was like, wow, that was profound. And so I saw Luke, and, and I mean, so not only have I given you my conclusion to the sermon, you could just read Luke's little statement here, and, and you have my sermon. But I particularly want to draw attention to the last little bit. Luke ends his reflection on Jesus as the Prince of Peace this way. He says, what the title Prince of Peace shows us is that Jesus is the only one whose rule will result in peace. He is not flawed. He's the only one who can effectively and selflessly govern all battles over such matters on earth are battles over the lesser of evils. The only ruler who is truly wise, Luke Diebel says, and I think he's spot on, is Jesus Christ. He is our Prince of Peace. I want to take us back to fifth grade Sunday school. I grew up in Seattle, Washington, and uh, went to a church called Westside Presbyterian Church. And I remember being in fifth grade Sunday school with my Sunday school teacher. His name was Larry Basket. Uh, now, I can't help myself. This is an aside. But I saw Larry Basket basically two times in my life. He was my fifth grade Sunday school teacher. And then about four or five years later, he was my driver's education instructor. Uh, he was the driver's ed teacher with the Seattle Public School District. So I saw uh, Larry Basket teaching me fifth grade Sunday school, and the next time I saw him, he was seated in a passenger seat next to me with a brake on his side, and he was telling me to turn left. But what's really crazy about that is seated in the back seat was Jeff Jensen, if you know Jeff Jensen. Jeff and I went to high school together in Seattle, and we took driver's education uh, together. But anyway, I couldn't help myself from bringing that up. Um, Fifth grade Sunday school class, we're sitting there one Sunday morning, and Mr. Basket says this. He said, if you received a letter addressed to you from God, would you read it? Raise your hands. And so, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that's what he did to us, too. Yeah, and we raised our hands. Yeah, good, good. Um, and so we raised our hands. And then he said, what if it was a really, really long letter? Would you read it? Yeah, of course. I mean... If God has a lot to say to me, I'd, I'm curious. What does he think, right? And then Larry Basket said, would you read it before you went to bed tonight? And I thought, well, yeah. He said, raise your hand. So we raised our hands. Now, we were in fifth grade. We didn't see where Mr. Basket was going with this. He, he reached down and, and pulled up his leather-bound NIV study Bible, and he said, well, God has written a letter addressed to you. Why don't you read it? Oh, daggers in the heart. And I think I left that Sunday with two simultaneous realizations. One, in some sense, he was right. God had written a letter to me, and I still wasn't going to read it. Now, I don't quite know why. Perhaps it's because shame and guilt are not the way of Jesus. But if I knew then what I know now, I might have pushed back 
a little bit on Mr. Basket. Because, you know, um, this really isn't a letter from God to us. I mean, first of all, um, it's mostly not letters. There's lots of literary genres in Scripture. We're going to be looking at prophetic literature here in the moment. But there's historical narrative. There's uh, apocalyptic literature. There's poetry. There's what we call wisdom literature. There's parable. Right? There, there are letters. We call them epistles. But they're not letters written by God. They're letters written by a guy named Paul, James, John, Peter. And they're not letters written to me. Uh, they're letters to someone named Timothy, to the church in Corinth, the church in Philippi. So if we come to Scripture as a letter from God written to us, we're probably going to be disappointed and confused. And, and, and that's maybe even particularly the case when it comes to prophecy, when it comes to prophetic literature. Uh, in the book of Hebrews... The writer of Hebrews says, says this, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. See, the prophets were given a vision of what God was not only doing in the people of Israel to reveal God to the world, but what God was going to be doing in the future. The prophets were able to see not only the present with keen insight, but God gave them a vision out on the horizon. And sometimes they saw what was going to happen in the future or perhaps even way in the future. And Isaiah is one of these prophets. If you have your Bibles, and I'm going to put it up here on the screen, so if you want to just sit back and, and read the screen, that's fine. But if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 2, first of all. Isaiah chapter 2. And this is where Isaiah first starts to talk about what he sees in the future. Israel is in a, a period of rebellion. They're just about ready to be captured by the Assyrians, what's called the Babylonian captivity. And Isaiah is prophesying that, but then he sees a deliverance. He sees a deliverer. He sees a Messiah, a king, the anointed one of Israel, whose kingdom will never end. And in Isaiah 2, he, he says this, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. And he goes on to say later in, that, uh, in verse 4 and 5, And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And we see here that this, this Messiah, this king, is going to gather people together and teach them his ways. There's some sort of way, there's some sort of path there's some sort of way of walking in the light that is actually going to bring people to take their swords and turn them into plows. They're going to take their, their weapons of violence and destruction and defense and turn them into tools that can cultivate the earth and bring about nourishment and blessing 
This is quite a, a revolution. Sometimes I, I look at our uh, budget for defense in the U.S. Right? Well, I've never actually seen the actual budget. budget. They don't send it to me. But, but I look at the number that we're spending, and I think, oh, my goodness. What if all of those billions and billions and billions of dollars could be used for good and not just missiles? And so Isaiah is saying, a time is coming where, where God is going to teach people a way of life where, where we don't need to do violence. We won't want to. Where we won't need to defend ourselves. We won't need to. Look, look with me to Isaiah chapter 11. We're going to get back to Isaiah chapter 9. But Isaiah chapter 11, um, if you are in your Bibles, this is on page 575, I believe. And here again, we see Isaiah prophesying of this coming Messiah. He says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. This is the line of David. This is Jesus, the Messiah. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And notice how he describes this coming deliverer. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he goes on to say, once again, that's going to have a radical shift in how people live life. The wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and a little child shall lead them. He goes on to finish uh, that passage there. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. This vision of a coming Messiah, a coming deliverer who has insight and wisdom and understanding. Again, I just want to reference Luke Diebel's little statement there, because that's what he's talking about. That this, this coming Messiah is going to be a wise ruler. The one who knows how to bring about peace. Look now at Isaiah chapter 9, just a few or one page back in my Bible. And this is the passage we've been sitting with that Sienna read so uh, wonderfully. Look at what Isaiah sees here. He says, the people that walk in darkness will see a great light. Think here of the echo of John chapter 8 where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Those who walk in darkness have seen a great light. So Isaiah some 700 years before. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. For unto them, Isaiah probably didn't know exactly what he was seeing, but for unto them a child is born. Unto them a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And, and, and look at these descriptors, this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, of the increase of his government, and of his peace there will be no end. With that kind of ruler, we won't want it to end. Now, I have a little video. Because when you think about Jesus as the Prince of Peace, you've got to think about this video. So Adam, are you going to play this? Now, if, if, if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that dog is the King of Cool, right there. I mean, you know, that, that bear, at first I thought that must have been manufactured, but it's, it's legit. That, that bear is like, and the dog's just like, whatever, right, you know. Um, now, 
When we think about Jesus as the Prince of Peace, I don't think it's just that he was completely undisturbed. Oftentimes we think of peace as inner peace. But of course, the the Hebrew word here is this word that many of us know, shalom. He's the Prince of Shalom. Shalom is, is, a, is that, that sturdy kind of word. It means wholeness and, and overall well-being. Everything is going exactly as it should be. Yes, inwardly, but also in relationship with our, our most intimate persons and also those around us. And, and, and everything. there's no conflict between groups of people and nations. There's even no conflict in Shalom between humanity and the natural world. Shalom is this, this sense that everything is exactly how God intended. Everything is going well. There's no conflict internally, externally. There's no conflict in the natural world. Shalom. And Jesus is the prince of that. Another word for prince is he's the administrator of shalom. He knows how to bring it about. Jesus knows more about everything going as it should than anyone who's ever lived. If you want to find out about peace, your first turn should be to Jesus. He's the maestro of peace. He's in charge of it. He knows how to bring it about in our lives and in the world as a whole. In fact, that's what he's doing He's on the move, bringing peace on earth, goodwill to all. That's what his salvation and deliverance is all about. The coming Messiah is the one who knows how to live, and he's going to teach his people his ways and show them how to walk in his paths, paths of peace and shalom. And this is exactly what we see Jesus doing when he comes to earth. He comes and he calls disciples. He, another word for disciples is students, learners, apprentices. He says, come, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus' call is to bring students or learners to himself and teach them how to become people in this world who share and bring peace to others. He says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Take my yoke or my way of life upon you and learn from me. Learn from me and you'll find rest for your souls. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That he is a way that is truthful, that brings life. When he sends his disciples out in Matthew 28, he says, go into all the world and make disciples of of Jesus, students, learners who are going to learn, and Jesus says, and teach them to do all that I have commanded. Teach them. Jesus offered an overall way of life in his Father's kingdom by the Spirit that brings about peace. Sienna read Galatians chapter 5 where we see the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. We learn from Jesus how to live life in his Father's kingdom by his Holy Spirit such that the fruit of our lives becomes over time more and more love, joy, 
peace, kindness, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Again, Jesus didn't come into the world here at, that we celebrate here at Advent just to die on the cross for our sins. He came to show us how to live life here and now. And of course, forgiveness of sins is an important step into his Father's kingdom, into that way of life. And uh, Adam, if we can go to the next slide, John 14. And this is exactly what Jesus says when he comes on the scene. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, talking to his 12 disciples as uh, this is what's called his farewell discourse. He's, he's heading to the cross. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. The Spirit's going to become the teacher. Jesus is going to be with us by the Spirit. But then notice what he says, peace or shalom I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. It's a different kind of peace. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So Jesus here is offering the kind of peace he had. Jesus as the Prince of Peace not only knew how to administer it to others, but he entered into it himself. His way of life was a life of peace, a life of shalom, as much as it was up to him. Again, we live in a broken world, and so there's a lot of absence of shalom. There's a lot of conflict around us, but Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, says, come unto me. I want to show you how to, how to not let your hearts be troubled, to not be afraid even in the midst of a broken, conflictual world and our own lives. The point here, and we need to not miss it, is that there is a way to enter into life with Jesus in his Father's kingdom by means of the Holy Spirit and that that life is transformational. It, it changes how we respond. We begin to take on the mindset that Christ himself had so that we begin to experience life more and more like he did. And that life is meant to bring about love, joy, peace. It's the fruit of an overall way of life with Jesus in his Father's kingdom. So peace on earth, goodwill to all. It's, it's not just a nice thought that we hope for in the future. It's not just something we sing about. And maybe as we light a candle at Christmas time, maybe feel a little bit of that sense of, okay, right there, peace, right? It's not just an experience. It's, it's not something that we just pray that God would magically bestow on us. It's an overall way of life, learning from Jesus how to become more and more like him, take on his mindset. What was he thinking about such that he was able to live life the way he did and to live life at peace? We want to turn to Jesus and pray, Lord, teach us how to enter into the kind of peace that you had. Um, Adam, you can go to the next slide. There's a couple other places. I mean, there's actually, as I was working on this last week, there's, there's so many places where Scripture talks about peace, and it's interesting how much it's talked about as, 
as something to enter into. So Colossians 3, Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And that lit is what's called a passive imperative. It's a command, but it's let it happen to you. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And I think we have to think there, what else is already ruling in my heart? Perhaps vengeance is ruling in my heart. Perhaps anxiety is ruling in my heart. Perhaps unforgiveness is ruling in my heart. So how do I let the peace of Christ rule when there are other rulers, when there are other occupying powers in my heart? Or again, Paul says in Philippians 4, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. See, this Jesus way of life that Paul imitated and passed on to others, Paul is now saying, look at me, imitate me as I imitate Christ. There's a way to enter into peace. It's possible. I just have to stop and kind of make this point. It wasn't on my plans, but our culture today is looking for a way of life that actually works. They're, they're looking at Christians and they're saying, it doesn't look like your way produces fruit. It, it doesn't look like your way produces peace. And so one of the things I think we need to respond to is to double down, if I can use a Vegas analogy, double down on, um, on, on Jesus offering an overall way of life that we can enter into such that we become different kinds of people. And that's what Jesus is offering us here. So as we mark the arrival, the advent of the Prince of Peace onto the stage of human history, the first thing we must do is make sure we are pursuing Jesus as a real living person. He says, lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. Jesus is still in the business of teaching his students, his disciples, how to be conformed to his image and take on his kind of peace. When it comes to conflict, anxiety, fear, our first turn needs to be to take Jesus seriously as the way, the truth, and the life. He's not just the means by which we have forgiveness of sins, though thanks be to God, he is that. He is also, and even more deeply, the means by which we have new life in his Father's kingdom by the sanctifying spirit who reorders and renews our minds in such a way that we can experience more and more shalom. Now that's a long journey. It isn't easy. There's a lot within us and outside of us that, that militates against it. But that is the way that Jesus has offered to us. The one who said, come unto me and learn from me has not gone out of the teaching business. So, what do we learn from Jesus about taking on his peace? I just want to mention three things. The first thing, and, and Adam, this is, yep, thank you. The peace Jesus makes available, the peace Jesus himself experienced, doesn't mean we won't have any problems. Um, here's a cheap way of trying to get peace. Oh, I'm feeling anxious about this. I don't like this. Fix it, 
right? Take away the problem, God, or, or I'll take it away, and then I'll feel better. This is what I call the gospel according to Bob the Builder. I think I have an image for this. I don't know if you, we grew up, or I didn't grow up, but I grew up with my kids watching uh, Bob the Builder. I don't know if he's still a, a thing, but his, his slogan was, can we fix it? Thank you very much, Oppie. Thank you. Yes, yes, we can. And, and so this, I love fixing problems. Oh, you're feeling stress. You're feeling anxiety. Can we fix it? And again, if we can fix problems, wonderful. But Jesus' way of shalom goes through a world of brokenness. And Jesus himself modeled a way of peace that went through Gethsemane. He did not have his problem taken from him. His cup was not taken from him. But he was able, with the Father's help, to find a way of peace in the midst of brokenness. So the peace of Jesus in this life goes through tribulation. Adam, if you can go to the next slide. Um, one more, I think. Yep. Uh, Jesus says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. That can be translated trouble and suffering. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Notice he isn't saying, take heart, you won't have any tribulation. <laughs> no, you'll have troubles and suffering. Take heart or take courage, I've found a way through it. You can come out the other side. And because we know we can come out the other side, and many times it's hard to get there, we know there's a way of, of some semblance of shalom even in the midst of a broken world. As Jesus' ancient ancestor, King David, said in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The second thing uh, we learn from Jesus is that the peace Jesus had and makes available doesn't mean we simply look on the bright side. Um, you might think of this as the gospel according to Julie Andrews. Uh, raindrops on roses, whiskers on kittens, brown paper packages, warm woolen mittens. When the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember my favorite things, and then I don't feel so bad. I wish, wish Keith Dowds was here. I mean, this is like, uh, this, this song must make Keith throw up. Um, <laughs> Nothing wrong with looking on the bright side. Nothing wrong with seeing silver linings. Nothing wrong with, with getting perspective. The problem is when we deny the reality of the brokenness, the pain, and escape from it by saying, but it's all okay. And as Christians, we have to be very careful of this tendency because we can always punt to, well, someday when Jesus returns... It'll all be fine. Yes, that's true, but we're not there yet. It's not fine now. And so Jesus' way of peace is, is holding the good and the bad. It's, it's living in the tension of, yes, th there is a silver lining. Yes, I can get perspective on this. Yes, someday Jesus will restore this, and right now it hurts. Right now it's dark. Right now I don't see that. Jesus' way of peace was a way of life that took the good and the bad and held them both. Think of Jesus at the death of Lazarus. The shortest verse in the Bible, and Jesus wept. Why did he weep? 
He knew Lazarus was in a better place. In fact, he could one-up that. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But Jesus takes the time to weep because death is horrible. Loss is horrible. He does the same thing in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows he's going to go to the cross, that he would be raised three days later, that through his death he was going to bring salvation to the world. And yet the text says that in Gethsemane, he was grieved to the point of death. Come on, Jesus. Get perspective. Think about your favorite things. No. See, Jesus was too complex for that. He was too emotionally mature for that. His, his way of life, his mindset was, no, this, this is a horrific thing that's about to happen. And it's going to bring about the salvation of humanity. So Jesus' way of peace is not only a way that just doesn't try to fix the problem immediately, but it also doesn't escape from the problem by trying to get perspective on things. Last but not least, Jesus' way of peace that he makes available to us is an overall way of life with God and with others. Um, go, go back to that, John, the next slide, which is back to, uh, yeah, thanks. That John 16 passage. This is a little bit before what I read earlier. Jesus says, again, he's about to go to the cross himself. Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, he's saying to the 12 disciples, each one to his own home, and you'll leave me alone. And then he catches himself. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And then he says, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. See, part of what Jesus is, is kind of pulling the curtains back in his own life is, is part of how his peace was administered is that he was never alone. Even when everyone left him, he says, actually, I'm not alone. My Father is with me. And Jesus had what some have called a God consciousness. Jesus walked this earth with a constant sense of his everlasting Father. If you were here last week for Steve Gross's uh, comments on everlasting Father. See, Jesus walked through his day with this sense that, that he had a father who was always with him, who would never leave him, would never forsake him. Part of the Jesus way of peace is finding our way into that God consciousness. Now that's a journey, that, that's, that takes some time. Now part of what we find as we draw near to God, as we practice his presence, is that deep down in our gut, we're not so sure we can trust him. We're not so sure he always is with us. We're not so sure he really does care for us, at least the way we want to be cared for. So no wonder we don't experience much peace. If we don't really believe down deep in our bones that he's got our back. So part of the way of Jesus' peace is to let the truth of that reality sink down. And again, that's easier said than done. That's a journey of a lifetime. But as we allow the truth that we have an everlasting Father who will never leave us nor forsake us, as we lit the peace of Christ, rule in our hearts, and overcome those places that don't fully believe. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. 
So the way of Jesus' peace is a with God and with others way of life. And I'll end with this because it's going to take us some time to get there with God. And that's part of the reason why he gives us one another. A new commandment give I unto you, Jesus says, that you would love one another as I have loved you. See, we, we need one another to hold on to each other as we try to hold one another before the Father. And oftentimes it's, it's in those one another's that we share our burdens and share the th- conflicts in our lives and at least we're not alone in our lack of peace. And every once in a while, God shows up in the one another's. He shows up through other people and, and we find some understanding of what we're dealing with. We might even find a solution to our problem. But we experience a growing peace by being with others. Let me give you an example of this and then I'll close us. A few weeks ago, I was experiencing some distress about a presentation I had to give at work. I was feeling nervous about it. It was kind of a major um, presentation. Important people were going to be in the room. I was um, a new, new kid on the block in this organization. I was feeling some concern about it. wasn't feeling much peace. Reached out to a few friends and asked them to pray for me, and, and they all got back to me and said, yeah, we'll, we'll pray, Steve. We're praying for you. you know, hang in there, whatever. There was one person. I'm tempted to out him, but I won't. He's in this room. But he texted me uh, the day before this presentation. <laughs> Don't know why I'm feeling emotional. I mean, I kind of know why, but not totally why. Um, it's not as meaningful of a story as it, 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 it Anyway, um, so um, he texted me and he said, Steve, as I've been praying for you about your presentation, this is what I'm hearing. And then he went on um, to mention some things that, that he was hearing, that he was praying for. There are very specific things that I hadn't said I needed prayer for. And as I heard that, I thought, hmm, wow, how do you know that? Because these are the exact things that I'm feeling a need about. And so I texted him back and said, "Uh, I think you're hearing pretty well. Um, and, And part of that role that he played in my life in that moment was not only did I sense his care in the midst of my distress, but I sensed that the Father cared for me through him. Because he wouldn't have known to pray in that way on his own. So as we go into this final week of recognizing the arrival of the Prince of Peace, the one who knows best how to enter into shalom, even in the midst of trouble and suffering, rather than just singing about peace on earth and goodwill to all, we're wishing others peace. Or even praying that God would grant us peace. I want to encourage us to draw near to the one who knows better than anyone else the way of peace. Shalom. And ask him to teach us how to enter into 
his kind of peace. He is the way, he is the truth, he is to lo- the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him, whether for the first time or the millionth time. We come to Jesus, we learn from him his way, his truth. We enter into his kind of life as the Prince of Peace. We're going to move into communion here in a moment, but I, I just want to pray for us and then I'll, I'll, I'll guide us into communion. So let's just take a moment. Turn your, your mind to the Lord, the Prince of Peace. He's real. He's alive. He's with you. And um, if there's perhaps a anxiety or fear or something that is distressing you, I want you just to take a moment and, and ask the Lord to teach you how to find his kind of peace in the midst of that trouble. Just take a moment, say, Lord, would you help me, would you teach me how to find your peace more in this situation? Jesus, as we celebrate your advent, your coming to earth, we have a lot to celebrate. You didn't just come to die, but you came to show us how to live. You didn't just come to offer forgiveness of sins, but we have forgiveness of sins so that we can enter into the Holy of Holies, that we can stand before your Father in you by the Spirit, and we can learn to become more and more like you to the blessing of those around us, that we can be witnesses to your reality. Thank you for this community of brothers and sisters who take seriously the Jesus way. In your name, amen. So we're going to be entering into a time of communion. Um, All are welcome uh, to the communion table. If you desire to come to Jesus as the Prince of Peace, the Lord of all, We often think about communion as a commemoration of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us, and it certainly is that. But communion is also a reminder that his life sacrificed is a life that continues to be available to us. It's a nourishing reality that we can grow in our receptivity to. So as you eat that bread, as you drink that Uh, juice or wine, juice is in the purple glasses, wine is in the clear glasses. Uh, Just remember, as as that nourishment comes down, it's, it's symbolizing that Jesus is with you, that he wants to nourish you by his presence, by his word, by his people. So if the servers would come forward, the ushers will dismiss you by rows.